Hi, everybody. Before we get into this week's episode, I just wanted to mention that my first live and in-person seminar will be on Sunday, January 28th in Dallas, Texas. I'll be doing a mixture of info. I'll be doing my Bevel Theory presentation. I'll be doing my Ethical Sales Strategy presentation. And we'll be doing an Open Techniques workshop. So it should be a pretty fun day of education. If you'd like to get more info or sign up, you can go to my website at ryanpba.com. And again, that's Sunday, January 28th, 2024 in Dallas, Texas. Let's go ahead and get into the episode. You're listening to the Piercing Wizard Podcast, and I'm your host, Ryan Willett. I'm a professional body piercer with 20 years experience. I travel around the world teaching technique and safety classes, and I'm a member of the Association of Professional Piercers. Listen in as I talk to my friends and colleagues about our industry so we can all stay sharp. Hi everybody, welcome back to the Piercing Wizard Podcast. I'm your host, Lola Slider, and with me today is my co-host, Ryan Willett. hey Why don't uh, you tell everyone who you are, Ryan? Well, they know who I am. Uh, that's not a cocky. <laughs> anyway, um, we are going to just do an easy breezy episode. Like, as we record this, we just recorded the surface piercing episode, and like, sometimes when we do episodes, it's just like, ugh, like that or yeah i liked it or didn't like it or whatever this one we wanted to just do something a little bit more casual so we're going to do a couple of questions that were submitted by our listeners Um, but first i think lola wanted to talk about jewelry in the way that we can get this really specific really frustrating question that i think every piercer has gotten at some point in their career and it's the whole question of let me do it okay you go ahead let me do it Is this everything you have? Yeah. That's pretty good. It's, no, that's really good. Nailed it. <laughs> now, it, it's not to shade any clients for having said this at all. Like, I, like we were talking about, this is something that is almost universal that piercers experience. So it's really, really common, but it's nails on a chalkboard, I think, to a lot of piercers. And um, I kind of wanted to talk about the fact that it never, ever goes away. And I think that it's important to keep that in mind if you're someone who is maybe a little doubtful about, am I, am I doing enough? Am I carrying enough? You know, is, am I, you know, is my stock diverse enough and all of this stuff? And you're never going to have that much stock that you're never going to be asked that question. Yeah, I, I, I think seen, it's impossible. I've seen studios that have insane jewelry selections, like half a million dollars of jewelry sitting in the case and they still get those questions. So no matter, I mean, yeah, sure. If you have just like a plain ball and nothing else, you're going to get that question all day, every Mm -hmm. day. But even if you've put in tons of work, years of work to make a massive selection, you're still going to get that question. And I think that you, you said that to me um, a couple of years ago when I, I, had that comment I had it just this week as well it's a comment that does come up semi-regularly still and you said to me look I've been piercing for more than 20 years I have so much more jewelry than you I still get asked that I still get that comment so I kind of just wanted to mention it because it's not something that ever goes away and it's absolutely not something that you should let get you down at all it doesn't mean that your selection is inferior Um, it doesn't mean that you should panic and buy a bunch more stuff that you don't necessarily need and keep in mind as well as Ryan mentioned there are there are big studios with 
half a million dollars worth of stuff sitting there, wall-to-wall cabinets, 10 members of staff, and there's also studios with one member of staff or two or three members of staff. And yeah, they're going to have less for sale and they're going to have smaller displays because their capacity to invest in jewellery for the business has to be in proportion to the amount of business that they're doing. If you're a studio that's doing 100 piercings a day, you're probably going to have a different selection to a studio that's doing six piercings a day. Um, and that's just realistic. So I kind of just wanted to bring it up because it is one of those phrases that makes us feel so disheartened sometimes. Yeah, it um, makes you feel really inferior. It does. And when it's delivered in that way of like, is this everything? It's and always it, disappointed too. It is because it makes you think, well, first of all, where else have you been shopping? <laughs> and second of all, what is it that you want? You know, what is there something specific that you're looking for? And then people say, I, I don't know. It's just nothing that's here. Yeah. And you're like, okay. Oh, great. <laughs> I think what it is, is we just live in the internet age where people mm. can endlessly scroll on yeah. Amazon or Google or whatever and that's really not what body piercing is so when I when I think variety in my studio it's like okay I want to have all the most common sizes that I would need and then I can start to think about well, okay now I'm gonna have a clear option for as many styles as possible and then maybe a white op opal option for as many styles as possible but then it, you get to this certain point where it's almost a diminishing return where if you start having the mentality of like well I need to carry every color gem that a company makes it's like well you're going to be wasting a huge amount of money because what's the likelihood that someone's going to come in and need that like very specific size in that very specific gem color so it's perfectly appropriate to focus your inventory to plan on a budget to really think about like you know the most common requests the most common sizes the most common options and then grow out from there based on like the input that you get from clients or you know specific requests but if you try to have everything in the world i guarantee you're still gonna have somebody come in and they're gonna say is this everything you have yeah and it's, you're never not going to get that i actually had a one-star review from somebody once and it was it was really hurtful because any time in my life I've had a one-star review, I don't think I've done enough to earn it, to be honest. Um, but a person came in, they wanted jewellery for a specific piercing. The piercing they wanted jewellery for wasn't the most common piercing and the jewellery they wanted wasn't the most common style. And I was still able to show them, I think it was four or five different options that would work. Um, they didn't want any of them and we went back and forth and round in circles for about 20 minutes of me just showing them different options and saying well you know this is what I have and then them saying well I don't like that and then me saying well you know we're kind of getting to an impasse <laughs> here like I don't I don't have any other things and they were just getting more and more disappointed and then they left a half hour later they left me a one-star review and I just remember thinking like I was nothing but nice to you and showed you the thing that was here. But because I didn't have whatever the thing was in your imagination, like they didn't even have a photo or anything. Yeah. And I just remember thinking like, motherfucker. Yeah. So basically don't feel like shit that people say that to you sometimes and don't let it get to you if anybody makes comments like, well, they should really have this or you should really be stalking this because nobody knows your business like you know it. People that have never set foot in it aren't really in a position to be commenting on what it is that your clients need the most. And I think you can still 
um, shop smart and shop for things that help generate revenue for your business. And you can still invest a little bit of money in fun stuff that maybe it'll be years before someone buys it if they ever buy it. But you just see a piece and you think, I want that in my case. Even though I know it's probably going to be a wasted investment, this is something I want to try and sell. You can still do that, but you can't let your buying be led by this irrational need to sell absolutely everything. It's not a good strategy. Yeah, I um I, I had a point in my career where I was like, well, I'm going to order this style, but in 20 different colors because that's just what you do, right? Because that's what I've seen in other studios. And it's been such a horrible waste of money. I probably still have some of those options sitting in, in my display case today. So try not to feel too self-conscious about it. Buy the stuff that you think that you're like the majority of your clients will prefer. And then in those other scenarios, like you can just make a custom order for people. Okay, so we have a few questions that have been submitted by listeners. We're just going to kind of hit them, give a quick answer on it, and then move on to the next one. One question that, that comes up pretty often whenever we talk about industrial piercings is why two needles versus one needle for industrial piercings? What's the shortest, easiest way that you can convey that information? So... When you say it's something that's that comes up often, I wasn't even aware this was a thing or a consideration, anything like that. I don't think there's any time in my career that I've used a single piercing for an industrial. Maybe the first year I was piercing, in that would have been 2009 or 2010, where, uh, again, it was cannula piercing, and it seemed to make sense that you just pierce straight through, and then, you know, cut the cannula in multiple places, and that was something that uh, it didn't persevere for me because I realized almost immediately that it didn't necessarily result in a straight piercing. But um, I don't want to be the person that sits here and shits on piercings that are doing one needle, but I wouldn't do that. I think it's actively a bad idea. And um, and I, I it's just not something that I would ever do because I get great results with um, two needle piercing and I wouldn't wish to use a single needle for two piercings anywhere else on the body. So it's not something that I'll be doing. But I, I don't want to, you know, sit here and... and shit on piercers that do that if it's something that works for them but I wasn't even aware that that was something that people were doing until very recently. It's something that comes up often enough where I kind of get the sense that that's just how some people are trained. I think that it's um, generational information. I don't I don't think that people who are trained to do one needle for one poke will kind of like I don't think their logic will bring them to well why don't you just use the needle more than once. I think it's someone who's been shown by a mentor, shown through an apprenticeship, shown through a video or the internet, like, well, you know, it's, you use the one needle and then you just keep pushing it through and then you just poke the other side. But the thing about it, and there are studies that you can like, you can Google it really, really easily. Um, needles dull, even on like, on like a small sense, like needles dull uh, and the, the second piercing will be more traumatized by reusing a needle. And really kind of what something that you said that I want to expand on is, would you do that anywhere else on the body? Like it would be really obvious if you're talking about nipple one versus nipple two, you wouldn't take the needle out of nipple one and then just put it right into nipple two. Like, I think it would be a, a really clear difference where people might say like, well, I'm not going to reuse this needle, even if it's on the same person. So I don't know why 
Um, there can be the justification for doing an industrial. Like it is one piercing, but it's two holes. It's very clearly two holes. So just two needles. You know something else? And again, I, I'm not saying this to be negative to people that use one needle, but I'm saying it as somebody who does industrial piercings with two needles. I pierce industrials exclusively from the inside out, from the inner ear outwards. Because in the majority of cases in piercing, I think it makes the most sense to go with the anatomy and when there's a structure supporting the ear a certain way, like for example, how you would typically pierce a conch from the inside of the ear, sure. piercing out the back. Have piercers done it back to front? Absolutely. Sure. But that wouldn't be my preferred technique, so it's not something I'm interested in doing. So for me, the idea of piercing an industrial from the outside of the helix into the ear, in again and outside, it's, it's piercing in reverse. So even if I had two separate needles, I wouldn't do it that way. I pierce from the inside out in opposite directions. Yeah. So. But that's, that's you know, that's, that's logic bringing you there and right. other people's logic bringing them somewhere else. Yeah. I'm very open-minded when it comes to piercing, as you know, in a lot of the, the classes and the talks and things that I do, I like to be inclusive to piercers who are using externally threaded jewelry and cannula needles and things that might not be considered um, very progressive in other spaces because they're still part of the community and they're still part of the conversation, whether certain piercers like to admit that or not, they are. And I don't like piercing to, or I don't like instructing to an elite group of people. I like instructing to everybody. And that's why I really don't want to be like, ew, one needle, I would never yeah, do this. No, I, I don't want to shame um, anybody for it, but I'll just say like, I can't really see an argument for it. And I don't know that people can really present an argument for it. But again, whatever, you know, I'm not doing it in my studio, but it's like, I'm not going to really judge other people. I mean, I'm going to judge like 5%. Okay. Like 5%, but that's it. Okay. Next question. Wrinkles and piercing, figuring out placement and considerations for swelling. I, the, the considerations for swelling, let, let's just drop that part. But mm -hmm. the whole wrinkles and piercing, I think what they what they mean is creases. Um, so let's say different facial placements, eyebrow piercings or surface anchor or nostrils or whatever it is, like you should be evaluating the person's facial expressions. So um, like you did your uh, bridge piercing class and video and you talk about like have the people stretch out their bridge with like an excited expression or like scrunch their face up with like a grumpy expression and you know you wouldn't want to place something right in a crease so if, if we're talking about like age wrinkles or something or just you know not moisturizing or wearing sunblock I wouldn't want to place a piercing in a wrinkle in a crease in a way where it could be disruptive for the healing but if someone just has some natural wrinkles on their face like maybe around their eyebrow region um i i don't think that that would really stop me from placing it there but if it's a crease from movement if it's a wrinkle from movement like scrunching up around the eye i wouldn't want to put a surface anchor right in that scrunch crease right in that scrunch wrinkle if it was a nostril piercing or like a high nostril piercing I wouldn't want to place something right in like a scrunched up kind of like wrinkle or crease either. But do you have any sort of anything to add to that? Not really. I mean, I think that you were pretty succinct in your explanation. Well, that, thank you. Um, there are there are wrinkles, as in wrinkles on the surface of the skin that occur with aging that are going to come to us all or have already started coming to us all um, that are kind of static. And then there are actual creases and folds that 
worsen when you make certain or deepen when you make certain expressions with your face. And as you say, it's just considering the 24 hour life of a piercing. Um, you know, clients often like to, I don't know if you ever had clients do this, where you mark someone for something and it's exactly straight or exactly symmetrical. And then they go and look in the mirror and they pull a selfie expression. Like and a then face that they would never just... And then it's not just, symmetrical yeah. anymore. And then they're like, oh, it doesn't look straight when I do this. And you're like, well, how often do you do, yeah. how often do, you do My that? My suggestion is... Are you living like that? Don't do that. So um, I yeah. think that that's another funny thing in modern times that we've had to get used to is yeah. clients um, like making certain poses and expressions and going, oh, when I do this yeah. and like raise my eyebrow. Maybe we should just start marking people when they're doing duck face. Um, but then the rest of the time, it's it's not going to look right. So um, yeah. I think that that's a funny thing that, that people do now is they, I don't even know if they know they're doing it, but as soon as they turn and look in the mirror, their face does the Zoolander thing. <laughs> and you're like, okay, well, that's not what you looked like a second ago. Yeah. Um, so Stop doing Blue Steel. Yeah. All right. Well, just to jump right into the, the next question, and this is like kind of a, this is almost a comedy question, and I know it's not intended to be. Um, how do you maintain good physical health, eyesight health, mental health, and work-life balance? Huh. Well, we haven't figured that out yet, so it's difficult for us to answer that question. Um, how would you like to talk about that question, though? So, um... <sighs> I think when it comes to good physical health, that can be a lot of different things. You know, it doesn't necessarily have to be, you know, lifting weights at the gym, but it can be lifting weights at the gym. It can also be things like going on walks. You know, some people go climbing, some people have pets that they take out. Um, some people even go wild swimming, even in Scotland, even at this time of year, believe it or not, there's people that are going wild swimming. And um, so it, it can physical good physical health can be a lot of different things. Um, doesn't necessarily have to mean that you're like this gym machine or, or anything like that. But I do think that it's important to think about mobility, um, not necessarily physical health in terms of aesthetics, but in terms of are you able to tie your shoelaces? Are you able to sit comfortably on a a moderately long flight or or car journey are you able to pick things up when you have boxes that you need to move you know are there basic things that you're going to have to do that you want to be doing in your 30s 40s 50s 60s so i think like reframing things around no you don't have to be ready to do a triathlon but think about quality of life, think about mobility. I think that that is stuff you need to start early. If you're at the point, I mean, you, and I don't want to throw you under the bus, but I know that you have, Oh, here, here it comes. You have some issues with mobility and flexibility and, and just general comfort and everything. And it's one of those things where it's now going to be harder for you to, to basically learn to incorporate stretching and exercise and things into your routine Whereas if you had started that 10 years ago, 15 years ago, and it was something that had been part of your life, it might not be as painful for you now. Well, yes. If I had started yoga in my 20s, yeah. But I actually interpret this question a little bit differently mm -hmm. in the way that I would like to answer. And I would like to focus on ergonomics because when we're talking about good physical health, like some of the stuff that I, some of the positions that I see uh, piercers maintaining while they're performing their work just looks like it's going to destroy their bodies. Um, I think a lot of piercers are just piercing off of like a, a generic medical table or a generic massage table. And oftentimes those are built to be um, 
for shorter people or people that are working from a seated position. So a lot of times those are going to be lower. So if you find yourself constantly working in a hunched over position, you had better be doing exercises and stretches for your back, for your shoulders, for your elbows and your knees and, and your, your body. Because like if you're trying to like maintain a hunched position for 10 years or a 20 year career, you're not going to be able to move by the time you get into your 40s. So like think about ergonomics, think about maybe just changing things up, like working from a seated position like Lola does. Um, I had uh, a, a table custom made so that it was a little bit taller. Um, I got a, a therapy table, like a sports therapy table, where it's essentially a massage table, but it's a good like three inches taller, four inches taller than a lot of like the standard ones that you would buy off of a, a website or out of the back of a catalog. So <clears throat> think about those things. And for good physical health, it's really like, yes, you can be fit. You can think about fitness, the gym, yoga, all that kind of stuff, like traditional fitness. But I immediately think about ergonomics. I don't want people to have carpal tunnel. I don't want people to have terrible backs and terrible knees when they get older just because they've been holding this awkward position for 10 years. So that's what I would like, especially people like earlier in their career to think about, like think about ergonomics. Um, eyesight health. I think the biggest thing you can do is just like you, you need to have more light in a lot of shops. A lot of people that move into spaces, they might put a, a whole ton of work into the floor and the paint and display cases and like waiting room furniture, but not a lot of them are focusing on like really good lighting in the piercing room. Something where you don't have to strain your eyes and squint. Like I have all LED lighting through my building. Like I'm very fortunate because I got to, to basically make a building like from top to bottom I got to do everything the way I wanted so the I have a ton of light I have a ton of LEDs which have like multiple points of refraction and it's not just like a fluorescent light tube um, so like good light um, I'm not a big fan of headlamps because they kind of flood one area but everything else around it is dark so I'm not a big fan of like filling in gaps with head with headlamps I would rather you have really sufficient really good um, bright but not uh, not fluorescent lighting, LED lighting that where you can have something cool or warm, whatever your preference is. But if you have to strain your eyes at work, it's the same thing about straining your back. Sooner or later, you're going to have to pay the consequences there. <laughs> Mental health. Yeah. Do you want to try that one? Yeah. Um, I think that mental health is a big issue in the piercing community. And... Um, there are a lot of reasons, there are a lot of contributing factors for that, so I'm not going to chalk it up to one thing. But one thing that I did mention during my self-care talk APP um, in Vegas this year was the, the issue of trauma dumping and how many of us will um, interact with clients who, and this isn't a, a malicious thing that clients do, and it's often something that piercers encourage is sharing and letting things out as well, is having um, experience after experience with clients where they're telling you something very upsetting that's happened to them or something that they're going through and it's a way for them to become unburdened and let this stuff out and it's wonderful that we can facilitate those experiences for people sometimes but the thing is we aren't 
crisis workers. We aren't therapists and our businesses aren't really set up in that way. And I, I don't say that to be harsh. I say it because crisis workers, trauma, trauma workers, therapists, they have crisis support. And we typically don't have crisis support. So we've put ourselves in this position where we're taking on all this information and we're being that support system, even if it's informally for our clients. And then we're just carrying all that around and taking it home with us. And it is so foolish to think, oh, I just, I, I'm just, I'm very empathetic and I can just take on that information. I'm cool with it. Listen, it's, it's going to slowly start weighing you down more and more and it does creep up on you. So I think that it's very important that if you are someone who credits themselves with being, um, you know, very considerate and conversational and empathetic with clients and you encourage them to share and unburden themselves, that you are talking to someone that to help get that stuff out of you as well, because it might not feel like it at first and it might manifest itself in different ways, but it's going to start getting you down more and more. And before you know it, you can be in a really dark and unhealthy place and thinking, why do I feel this way? And it's the refusal to believe that work could be having something to do with it that's going to make that worse. Yeah. Um... Uh, I love to be able to give people an experience where they can unburden themselves, yeah. but that doesn't mean that the burden dissipates. Like if someone tells me uh, some, you know, traumatic hardship or something like that, like if you can remember it, that means you're carrying it. And yeah. sometimes you have to be able to put that down. And then, you know, whether it's sharing it with a partner, sharing it with a coworker, sharing it with maybe a, a professional, like I've been in therapy for years. I, I have a therapist that I'm, really happy with. Um, I know that it can be really difficult for people to click with a therapist or to even have the bravery to, to start therapy. But like, it's been an important part of my life in trying to maintain some sort of semblance of my own mental health, because um, just like you can get saturated with bad news from the internet, um, sometimes you can get saturated with the, the burdens that people put down in your workplace. And I don't mean that I want them to stop putting those down. I want body piercing to be a, a positive experience for my clients, but I have to just be aware that um, sometimes it, it does come with uh, a burden for us as staff members. So there's that general mental health, like, you know, take care of yourself in the way that you might want to take care of your body. I know in a day and age where work is much more difficult you know, every day can just feel like a, a challenge or like a, a battle that you have to win. And it's like, it takes everything you have just to get through that day. And maybe you don't have the energy to even like stop for lunch or to pay attention to yourself or, or whatever. Like, you know, mental health is just as important as, you know, taking care of your back and taking care of your skin and drinking water and all that stuff. Self-care. I know that we, we like to joke about candles and bubble bath. But uh, uh, self-care is also like admitting when you're not doing okay and then talking to somebody about it, whether it's a friend or a partner or a therapist, like talk about if you're feeling okay or if you're not feeling okay. That stuff is really, really important. Like mental health is one of the most important things that I would like people to focus on. Yeah, I think that um, something to take away is that when it comes to mental health, if it's something that you're struggling with, doing nothing is never the answer. Right. Whatever it is that you're wanting to do, doing nothing 
is not the answer. It's not something that's going to resolve itself or go away if nothing in that pattern of behavior, behavior changes and that cycle just continues as it was. It's, it's, you know, it's one of those things where that's the hardest thing. Like you said, the hardest thing is to start mm -hmm. because I think sometimes by the time you realize your mental health is on its arse, it, at that point, you're like, oh, what's the point in me yeah. taking these little steps because they're not going to help? And you kind of convince yourself that, oh, well, now there's nothing I can do about this. And it's just, that's why it's the hardest thing to get started. But you have to take it seriously and you have to start and do something that's different. Otherwise, it, it just isn't going to get any better. And I think that for for most of us, you have good days and bad days. You wake up, you have a good day, and all of a sudden you forget that you just had a bad one and you think, well, that's it, things are good now. Yeah. And you could wake up the next day and they're bad again, you know? So that's why it's making a decision to, to make your mental health improve or to help your mental health improve. I think, like you say, step one um, is is taking action. It's doing something and not just thinking, I'll do nothing and somehow things will get, I've tried nothing and nothing's worked, you know? <laughs> yeah. Uh, but I, it, you know, again, we're not therapists. Like I know that I need to take better care of my body, but you don't see me going to the gym because I'm overwhelmed by everything else in my life. Right. So you might feel the same way about your mental health, but just try to find somebody you trust, somebody that you can open up with and just talk to them about how you're feeling. It doesn't have to be a doctor appointment to start. It can just be talking to a friend, talking to a, a coworker, talking to a relative, talking to anybody and just saying like, I'm not doing okay and I want to talk about it. That was sad. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's not, it's not meant to be. People would rather hear about your problems. Then attend you, your funeral. Then know that you weren't talking to anybody yeah. about them. They really would. So anyway, let's move. Let's move a little bit past that. Just yeah. the last part of this question: uh, How do you maintain a good work-life balance? I that, don't. Yeah, I yeah, we don't. I, I thought it was kind of funny that you had to send me a message that said stop working when you're on the toilet. Because <laughs> <laughs> it's like if if either of us have our phone within reach, we're working. Like yeah. even just recording this podcast, you've checked your phone three or four times to see if you had a work message or a work email. Like we are not people to ask that question of because we have no healthy work balance between life and work. Um, we're always on call. We're always working. We're both business owners. I would say like the only advice I could try to give you is put your goddamn phone down every now and then. I know people are way more addicted to their phones than almost anything else in this day and age. So it's like if your phone is in your hand, work can find you. Try to put your phone down so that work has a harder time figuring out where you are. I think try and spend less time on your phone when you're with a friend or a loved one or a relative. For example, you've been here with me this week and my phone's been sending me alerts like, Lola, where the fuck are you? Why aren't you using your phone? Like I got one of those weekly reports that said I'd been using my phone over two hours less every day whilst you've been here. Um, so obviously it's it's helping and it's working and having a positive impact on my mental health that you're here. Yay. Um, but yeah, as Ryan says, we're both business owners, so even though I have very strict boundaries in terms of I don't do, you know, client emails and things when I'm on a day off or when it's the evening time, I keep that to work hours. There are still other issues that come with managing a property and managing a business that can really pull you out of things at any hour of the day, regardless of what day of the week it is. So um, my advice would be try and isolate those times where you can really relax and 
really make an effort during those times to do so. So for example, for me, if it's after six o'clock in the evening, I know that there aren't really any business to business inquiries that are going to happen unless it's a, a real emergency, like a fire or a flood. If it's after six o'clock in the evening and it's during the week, I know that there aren't going to be any businesses that are calling me because they won't be working, that kind of thing. So I, I try and hold on to those little mental cues of relief where when I look at my phone and I go, oh, well, you know, it's after six. There's nothing that's going to be happening with this today. I'm going to try and put it down till nine o'clock tomorrow morning. Mm -hmm. And just try and I try and isolate the times that I can't take any action. So if I can't take any action, why worry about it more in this moment? You know, and I try and look at things that way. Yeah, I try to. Uh, I try to do activities in my off time where both my hands are busy because yeah. if even <laughs> uh, if even one of my hands are free, it's going to be reaching for my phone. So yeah. that's probably why I play way too many video games at night. Mm -hmm. So uh, next question I want to hit on might be uh, a little bit heavier, but um, I would also like to tell you that if you need more information about an, an answer like this, a subject like this, like talk to a medical practitioner talk to your uh, regulatory health agency, talk to your health departments, talk to the people who might be inspecting your studios. If you have licensing, uh, maybe just read your, your licensing protocols uh, about what is required in your area. But the question is, should people with immunosuppressive conditions get piercings? Should we as piercers discourage it? And what I would like to point out is um, some areas, it might be in your uh, in your licensing and your regulation that you have to put it on your release form for people to disclose certain medical conditions and that if they disclose it, um, you might be legally required to decline service. That can be a slippery slope. Um, if you're required to do something for your license, you're required to do it. If you want to change that, you know, engage your health agencies and engage them that way or ask them for more information or clarification. But what I would also like to tell people is like as body piercers, we have all pierced people with immunosuppressive conditions. Um, if they're not disclosing those things and they just get pierced, then we should be trying to take care of all clients to the same level. We should be thinking universal precautions, kind of assuming that people have everything. So that's why we're protecting ourselves with personal protective equipment. That's why we're disinfecting things to protect our future clients and our future coworkers. As far as a, a health condition where people might have um, maybe a, a greater likelihood of, of healing complications or more of a challenge for healing, I think that that's more of a question between the client and, and their doctor, their medical practitioner. But I, I, I don't really want to see body piercers trying to make health decisions mm -hmm. for their clients and trying to determine where the safe line is if there is no regulation stating where the safe line is. So what, what are your thoughts on that? I agree that um, if you don't know where the line is, you shouldn't be the one drawing it. Um, I think that uh, similarly in my location, my license requires me to decline certain things unless a doctor has advised that it's safe to go ahead and do that piercing. Um, whether I agree with it or not, that's the terms and conditions of my license that allows me to work legally. I interpreted this question a little different just in terms of general immunosuppressive conditions of which there is a broad spectrum. I mean, there are so many different health conditions that a person can have that can affect the immune system and that can come and go as well. And I do think that, as you said, many clients with immunosuppressive conditions uh, have been pierced, can be pierced, and there are also some 
um, whom for which that would be an incredibly high risk activity. So I think in this area, there can't be a yes or no answer to this. You can't say, yes, you should pierce people with immunosuppressive conditions or no, you shouldn't, because it's so dependent on the situation. And like you say, we aren't doctors. I know we like to take on everything and say, I can research this so well and I can find the answer to this. There are people who are vastly more trained and qualified to deal with this than you in, in certain situations. I think if you're dealing with a client who has um, an immunocompromising condition that affects their life in a manageable way, um, that's being managed, that's been diagnosed, that there is a treatment plan for, and that is predictable in a lot of ways, I think that's different from treating someone who is undergoing chemotherapy, for example, or piercing someone who is undergoing something like chemotherapy or a similar treatment to that would be an awful idea and putting them at significant risk. So I don't think that this is a question where you could just say, yes, it's fine or no, it's not fine. I would certainly say that summarily saying no would probably be quite ableist in a lot of ways. And, uh, and summarily saying yes would be very foolish in terms of um, putting your, your customer's health at risk. So I, I think very much that if you don't know where the line is, that's your indicator that you shouldn't be drawing a line in that situation. Yeah, I think a question like this certainly comes from a good place where I, I would hope that the intention would be that they want to protect their clients rather mm. than they're kind of maybe afraid of their clients in a way. Um, but again, like that, it's not really our place to say. So unless you have regulations that require you to ask certain kinds of medical history questions on your release form and to accept or decline services based on the, the client's answers, uh, I think it's a slippery slope, and I don't think that it's something that um, a podcast can can really answer for you. But if you want more information, as I said, reach out to your health inspector, reach out to the person that does the licensing in your area, or reach out to a, a medical practitioner. Um, but I, I, I don't think that piercers should be making those determinations. This is the, the last question, uh, the submitted question that I want to get. We have more. We can get them more on a future episode, but um, I also want to have dinner and watch a movie with you tonight. So the last question that I'm going to deal with uh, from the submission form is how to report severe hack shops in the area uh, that you are tired of fixing barbaric piercings from them. Uh, finding out they're not wearing gloves while piercing and causing clients infections. My state has no regulation, but I'm tired of this happening. Unfortunately, clients are too scared to call the health department to report it, even anonymously with fear of retaliation from said shops. Do you want to jump into that first or do you want me to get it? I'll get it. Um, so I feel your stress and your exhaustion and your frustration with this issue, like I can feel it in your writing and I know that you know and you know that I know there's not really anything you can do about this, at least not in a, a short term kind of way. So I very much get the sense that this is just something that's really bugging you that you just want to get out there. But I can tell you as somebody who is regulated up the asshole hack shops still exist <laughs> in my location as well. So it might seem like, oh, there's no regulation and this stuff is happening. There are hack shops everywhere. And, you know, the, 
The standards for what is or isn't a hack shop is also variable, which is something that we've talked about before. And absolutely uh, not using gloves to touch someone and the, the results that you're describing certainly sound pretty severe. And I think that you're doing the right thing in encouraging people to make reports. But I, I think that that's kind of as much as you can do because you can't you can't be the, the piercing sheriff in town. You, you just can't make that role for yourself. And another aspect of it is I do a lot of fix-up work. I do a lot of checkups. I do a lot of um, jewellery changes for piercings that are not wearing inappropriate jewellery. Maintaining work that hasn't been done very well is actually an enormous part of what my job is. And so whilst it might suck a little bit having to do that stuff and you might feel frustrated by it, I would just try and think about it as it is part of your job. Like you, you might not want to think of it that way. You might want to think, I just want to do the piercings that I'm doing or do piercing uh, checkups on referrals from my friends. But the thing is, clients can go anywhere and, and they can have piercings done anywhere and they still might want to come to you and, and get support or make purchases. And I don't really think that that's something that you can stop. You can certainly have... Um, procedures in place like I do about your minimum standards for assisting with work that was done somewhere else. That's absolutely a possibility. But in terms of reporting the shop, I think that you know how to report the shop. And if you aren't allowed to report it because you haven't been a client, I think that that's something that you know and that really you're just feeling stressed out by it and um, you know, bogged down by it. And I completely understand when you put so much of yourself into doing a job well, seeing somebody else say they do the same thing as you and do it so poorly, it's hurtful. And it's really easy to take that personal. And, and I think that that's what's happening here. And I completely understand it. And, and like I said, I feel your frustration. I think the best thing that you can do is remind yourself that regardless of the label, regardless that you call yourself a piercer and they call themselves a piercer, you just have to remind yourself that you're doing very different jobs and try and maintain that separation in your mind and stay positive when you're working on clients who have had this this awful work done. Encourage them to make reports, encourage them to do the right thing and then put it down because it's bad enough that you've not been paid for this initial work and now you're carrying around the stress of it as well. What do you think? Shit, that was way more eloquent than I would probably I'm say. I'm very eloquent. You are so eloquent. Yeah. Um, kind of like what Lola said, like no matter where you are in the world, there's going to be a shop that just doesn't want to put in the same level of effort that you are. And I, I don't think, I honestly don't think that regulation and like a, a, a health department is really going to eliminate that because I know piercers in like heavily regulated areas and in minimally regulated areas and they all have the shop down the street that drives them nuts. Like everybody has it. I have it. Lola has it. You obviously have it. Um, I am on a, a regulatory committee for body art in my state and I've seen how the sausage is made about complaints and investigation of complaints and about penalizing people based on those investigations and I'll tell you that like very few of them actually end up like making someone change their practices uh, a lot of times they're just gonna hope that they don't get caught a second time so if there are shops out there 
um, that are like blatantly disregarding uh, regulations, then that might be something that you can bring up to your, your health department. If they have an inspection, maybe they can go and do a surprise inspection, maybe something like that. But what I really don't want to see people doing, like Lola said, is trying to be the piercer sheriff. Yeah. Because it, like if if it gets back where it's like you're trying to like rat somebody out, for lack of a better term, you're trying to like sick the health department on them, you're trying to sick uh, an inspector on them or something like that, the same kind of stuff is going to happen to you. And I'll tell yeah. you that like even if you are a very careful, very thoughtful piercer, the, the the health inspector isn't going to care and they're going to pick up any little thing that's wrong with your shop like oh you forgot to empty your trash today or you forgot to do this you forgot to do that like Lola is an extremely high level piercer Thank you. she puts in so much work to what she does and she still has uh, health inspectors that are like well you have to change this you have to do that you have to do this like they're not body piercers they're not like body piercers who live and sleep and eat and breathe body piercing they're a health inspector so like maybe they can go off of a checklist but like you don't want them coming through your door just as much as that other person doesn't want them coming through their door you don't want to get into a situation where you're basically volleying back and forth with this other shop and sending negative energy each other's way because ask yourself this for all the time that you spend being angry about the work that they do and thinking, how can I shut this place down? I don't like this place. Do you think they're thinking about you? Because they're almost certainly not. And I always think about things in those terms. Why are you putting so much thought and effort into being stressed about the existence of another business, person, entity, whatever, when they don't care about you at all? Yeah. It's all one way, you know? And that's that's another issue with being the, the sheriff of Piercer Town is that you're the one that's doing all the emotional labor. You're already putting in all of the work in your location. Honestly, I would recommend focusing on what you can control, fostering a safe environment in your business, placing whatever boundaries into place that you feel will make you comfortable on working with clients who have been pierced elsewhere. If you want to do that at all, it's very much your choice as well. But focus on what you can control because looking down the street at what the other place is doing, good or bad, is very rarely, in my opinion, an effective business strategy for long-term management. Um, So, you know, vent about it, complain about it, but don't think that you can beat it. Because like I said, you know, Ryan's been here with me in Glasgow. He has been around the world and he observes this as being one of the most strictly and bizarrely regulated places he's ever been in his life. And yet I can still go and get a shitty 10 pound piercing with awful jewelry from an inexperienced person with non-sterile almost everything. I can still go and get that done. Even being that it is so heavily regulated in so many ways. Um, So just be careful where you're expending your energy. That's energy that could be going towards yourself and your clients. That was a lesson I had to learn. I was forced to learn that lesson very early on in my career. Like you can just like be old man shouts at cloud uh, as long as you want, but it's probably not going to change that much. So focus on the things that you can control, focus on the things that you can change and really just focus on the high road. Like, well, hey, if they're doing bad jobs, dirty jobs, unsafe jobs, well, then you do the safe job, the clean job, the better job, and people will just naturally gravitate towards that. You can't win them all. So just try to focus on the ones that you can win. And then, you know, don't sweat the small stuff. So I would really like to wrap it up 
now because I am brain fried recording two podcast episodes in a row. And thank yeah. you for being patient and recording them with me. You're welcome. Thank you for um, everyone who submitted questions. We still have um, quite a few more that we can get to on future episodes. Uh, I didn't plug my Patreon, so I'll say you can find you have a, a Patreon. I have a Patreon. Oh. You can find a whole bunch of stuff at patreon.com slash Ryan PBA. Lots of narrated uh, videos, deep dives on different subjects, lots of information, including some information from Lola. She's got a couple of videos on there and they're great. Wait, you're recording this? Hey, oh, anyway, um, I've been Ryan. You've been Lola and we've been talking for too long. So, uh, thanks for listening. We'll be back with more soon. Bye. For more information about the show, visit piercingwizardpodcast.com or like Piercing Wizard Podcast on Facebook. For more info about your host, visit precisionbodyarts.com or search Ryan PBA on Facebook, Instagram, and Tumblr. If you enjoy the show, you can subscribe on iTunes, Apple Podcast, and Google Play. Music by Benny B. Blanco. Show copyright 2017, Precision Body Arts, LLC. All rights reserved.